0: What's up everyone? Welcome to the Man I Want to Be podcast. My name is Keaton and I am your host. Thank you for checking out this episode. If you've uh, listened before or this is your first time, I'm just glad that you're listening. I hope this uh, podcast helps you figure out the man you want to become, what you want to give your life to, and what you believe. That's what we're after uh, on this on this podcast. And I say this every, every episode, almost every episode, Uh, This podcast is based on a question that my dad asked me when I was 23 years old. I was directionless. I was without motivation. I was feeling sorry for myself, living in their basement, working at a restaurant. And he asked me, he's like, son, what kind of man do you want to be? I was like, I don't know. And I gave him that, I don't know, as in, I don't actually know, and I don't know, I don't want to talk about it. That kind of, I don't know. Um, and he said, well, I would figure out what kind of man you want to be and pursue that relentlessly for the rest of your life. And here we are today, uh, for eight years or so, I have been pursuing the man I want to be growing, learning, um, asking questions, seeking wisdom from a lot of people, from mentors and in the scriptures. And, um, I'm not quite where I want to be, but I'm a lot further along than when I was 23. And, uh, I hope, hope to help, uh, all, all you young men, old men, you know, wherever you are in your journey to help you become the man that you want to be. Directionless men are dangerous men. They're a menace to society. And, and when you don't know who you are, who you want to become, um, or if you don't do what God designed you to do, the world falters. And today, just like any other time in history, we need strong and daring men to build and guard what has been entrusted to them. That begins with their family, their local community, their church. We're after, like, this is not just a self-help podcast not even a self-help podcast this is almost like a philosophy of manhood that calls men to a higher level of um, daringness where they are that's what we're after Um, and today we I got a fun episode that I've been thinking about for quite a while but I kind of wanted to add a new little segment to this podcast and I wanted to um, we'll see how this how this goes um, I found I want to start doing a quote of the day or a quote of the podcast. Uh, you know that when I record these, um, I, I have intentionally not systematized it too much. I want it to be raw, real, honest, like you plug in the microphone and talk. That's why there's no intro music. And that's why there's no like systematic part of the podcast. But um, I do read a lot. I like to read in uh, like history and biography and I find all of these great quotes and I was like, man, th- this could be a whole episode or or it could be just a quote of the day. And I was like, well, maybe we'll add that as part of, as part of the podcast. Maybe we'll at least do a quote of the day portion. So there's this great quote uh, from one of my favorite historians. His name is Paul Johnson. Paul Johnson, I think it was like in the 80s and 90s that he was really prominent in writing all of his books um historical work i really really like his book the um uh the history of the american people is what it's called by paul johnson he also wrote a history of the jews a history of christianity which i really enjoy and i've got a list of all his other historical works that i, I really want to uh want to dive into he's he wrote a lot about the 20th century but anyway so in that book the history of the american people which is a masterpiece He's talking about the American Revolution compared, like uh, there's that's the section that this quote is in. American Revolution, the stuff leading up to the American Revolution, and uh, but what he wrote in this portion, he's comparing the leaders of the American Revolution to the leaders in the leaders, excuse me, in Britain, um, and then the leaders of the French Revolution, um, and he says that the men of America or the men who made America. So think of your founders, Washington, Madison, Hamilton, Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, all of the other guys that you never hear about who were also very impactful. Uh, Samuel Adams, not just a beer. He was a part of the American uh, founding. this is what he said. And what was particularly providential great word was the way in which their strengths and their weaknesses weaknesses compensated each other so that the group was infinitely more formidable than the sum of its parts. Behind this rank of gentlemen lay the qualities of solid sensible and able men capable of rising to a great occasion. What a line behind this rank of gentlemen lay the qualities of solid sensible and able men capable of rising to a great occasion. In personal qualities, there was a difference as deep as the Atlantic between the men who led America and the men who led Britain. Great events in history are determined by all kinds of factors, but the single most important factor is always the quality of the men in charge. Never was this principle more convincingly demonstrated than in the struggle for American independence. What a quote! Become a man who is able to rise to great occasions. That is what this podcast is about. My gosh. Buy that book, Paul Johnson, he's a historian, you can go to his page on Amazon, his books are kind of hard to find in print now because, I mean, they were written 40 years ago, but fantastic. I hope that quote inspires you and gets you ready to go conquer your day and conquer your world and become the man that you want to be. Okay. Now, um, today's episode, the focus of today's episode, we're going to talk about finding a woman. So this episode is dedicated to the single guys out there, but it's also dedicated to the the guys who are you're dating and you're trying to consider if this is the woman you want to propose to. It's just having a conversation the other day with a guy who's trying to figure that out because it's a very big question and you should take it seriously. Uh, Anyone like Take it seriously. There's so many things to factor in because this is going to be the person you're with for the rest of your life. Um, It's a big decision. It matters. And if you are married... This episode can be used as an encourager for you. This is not just for the single guys. It's definitely directed at the single guys or the guys who are dating. But if you're married, this episode can be an encourager for you because you're going to hear a story about a woman uh, in the Old Testament. Um, And maybe you're going to hear something today that you need to express to your wife or ask your wife about. Um, It's okay to ask your spouse. Your wife probably asks you. And it's okay to ask your spouse to grow in certain areas because it's for your flourishing and for the flourishing of your marriage. And most, if you don't ask, nothing's going to change. Ask and you'll receive. Okay. So it's okay to ask for those kinds of things. They're not condemning. It's like just expressing what you need. Um, Just ask her with gentleness. Uh, Maybe you mentor young men or women. And this episode has something um, for you to share with them. I'm sure there are a lot of you who listen who have young men that you mentor who you're trying to help them navigate life, and maybe there's something in this podcast from this story, from the scripture, go to the scripture first, always, that will help you mentor and guide these young men who are eager to be married. Okay. Um, so, this podcast is for everyone. We're going to talk about a woman named Abigail in her interaction with King David. It's in the Old Testament. You'll find this story in 1 Samuel chapter 25. I read 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel at least twice a year, every single year. I have for years. Um, I think the wisdom contained within these two books is unparalleled when it comes to how young men are going to grow into who God wants them to become. You hear the story um, of David and his interactions with other people. How he handled it. It's obvious where he failed. It's obvious where he had success. It's obvious where there's relational tension. And the more and more I read it, the more I derive from this. These two books. I think they're the greatest leadership books ever written. And I don't just say that because I'm a Christian. Um, I don't just say that because I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't just say that because I really enjoy the scripture. I think these two books might be the greatest leadership books ever written. They are phenomenal because they're real. Um, they're not just principle based, they're story based, and they deal with the interactions between human beings and kings and jealousy and tension and and authority. There's all sorts of good stuff in these that that's real life. Um, I just and I I think they're the best. Uh but this story, I wanna give you a little background on this story. Um because you have to to understand why this story is so important. You have to know the background of, like, what caused these events to transpire. And so I want to quickly go through um, these. I, I, so I got my microphone set up on a... I normally have it laying in front of me. And I decided to put it on the microphone stand. Um, while at the same time I decided to handwrite my notes instead of typing them out. And those... T- <laughs> Those two don't go super well together. So if you hear me like cluttering paper around, it's because I can't see my notes as well as if they were on my computer screen. So I just felt like I had to share that with you. I don't know why I did, but okay. All right. So David is going to meet a woman named Abigail um, in first Samuel chapter five. David's story starts in first Samuel 16. So we're pretty far into his story. Um, And there's some events that, that uh, happen in, in the background that lead up to this, this moment. Okay. Um, David at this point in the story, he, uh, there is a King in Israel. His name is Saul. Saul hires David to be his heart player because Saul has lost favor with the Lord. And he has, he's being tormented by jealousy, anxiety, and all sorts of stuff. Um, now that is not a, a you just That's just how the story is written. Don't like, don't diagnose yourself. Uh, there's always a danger when you say something like what I just said, that people will diagnose themselves and be like, oh, I've had anxiety. I must be out of favor with the Lord. No, 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 no. That, that is just what's, that's not a diagnosis. Uh, don't go there. Okay. Don't go there. Maybe you're just worried about something and you need to surrender it. But okay. So at this point, uh, David has been hired by Saul. Saul is very, very jealous of David. The kingdom Saul is still positionally king, but the kingdom has been taken away from him from by God. So you can have a position and not have the authority, and that's a whole leadership thing right there. Okay, so Saul becomes very, de- very jealous of David because David has this great success everywhere he goes, and Saul starts to like figure out I need to manipulate the situation and steal some authority from him and get. All- I need to be conniving. So one of the things that he does is he offers. David, Saul offers David, David's a young man, very young. So imagine a a much older man that you respect and that you look up to being jealous of you and starting to manipulate you. That's what David's about to experience. So he offers him one of his daughters in order to manipulate him. Saul says to David, I'll give you one of my daughters in marriage. If you will go out and fight the battles of the Lord for me, that is go to war for me. And his, it says right after that, it's like, so that, Saul doesn't have to have his hand against David, but the Philistines will be against David. So his his hope is, well, if I can't kill him, other people will, and I will bait him into it by offering him my daughter. I'll give you my daughter if you go to war. Um, and then he, uh, you know, ends up giving that first daughter away in marriage to someone else, um, and then he gives David his second daughter, Michael. Okay, um, Michael. Oh, there could be a whole contrast between Michael and Abigail. Let me tell you. Um, so that doesn't work. So when he he's unable to manipulate David, David goes to battle anyway. He has he's very successful. He, he like wins all these battles. There's even a song about it in the Bible. And so Saul decides, all right, if I can't get him, to, if I can't kill him in battle, I'm going to kill him myself. And so he throws a spear at David so remember David is hired to play the harp for Saul so that Saul can be at peace okay Saul he's playing the harp for Saul when he's in one of his mood and Saul has his spear in his hand which you will hear about throughout the story Saul always had his peer, his spear close by which is a way of saying Saul was always ready to take someone out if he felt he needed to and some of y'all and a lot of men, carry words around in their back pocket that they are ready to hurl at other people in order. Do they just carry them around with them? You gotta, you gotta stop that. Put that to death. So Saul's sitting there with his spear and he's just so provoked by David's presence that he throws a spear at him and tries to kill him. So David who lives in that palace with Saul is like, has this spear thrown at him, which is scary. He doesn't throw it back, which is honorable and he leaves he runs. He goes to hide. Before he he goes, he goes to um to his home where, like in his part of the palace where Michael is. Um, and Michael, his wife, protects him. She she says, um, that uh, Saul will surely kill you. She lets him out of the window. She um, takes one of her idols that she should not have. Be wary of women with idols. Hides it. Pretends it's David. Saul comes and is like. Oh, where's David? You, I thought he was here. And he finds the little hidden thing and he gets mad at his daughter and is like, why did you lie to me? And Michael says this, um, Michael tells her father that David said, let me go or I will kill you. So David's running from a man who's angry at him. This man who's angry at David gave his daughter to David to marry and now he thinks that David tried to kill his daughter or threatened her. He, Michael, with this one statement, uh, McCall, I should probably say because it sounds like a boy's name is not. It's McCall or Michael. She lies. She's going to lie again. She forever pits her father against her husband. Um, and because of this, Michael will forever have resentment towards both men. Um, and there's a, there is a whole... Thing that I was, as I was writing this, that that I've never noticed before about the relationship between uh, husbands and their wives' fathers, and um, how to handle those. If if your wife or future wife pits her father against you, you're gonna have a lot of trouble. You're gonna, and that has happened before to a lot of people. a father is always a daughter's first love always. And that will never change. Always her first love. That's why a father sim gives away his daughter to her husband. When they get married It's to say, Hey, I'm entrusting you to her now and you become her new love. But that, that relationship dynamic, there's a whole thing there. I won't go into that. um, Because that's not what this podcast is about. This is about finding the right woman. Okay, I'm just trying to give you background. Okay, so Saul David's trying to be killed by or Saul is trying to kill David. Michael, his wife, turns against him and accuses accuses David to her father that he tried to kill her, which didn't happen. That's a lie. So David flees his home. He's hated. He's alone. He's in danger. He's living in a cave at this point in the story. Um. He tells a lie to protect himself. And because of this lie, Saul gets really angry and has someone kill 85 people. Okay. One of the people escape, they come and tell David, and now he's got guilt. I just think it's hard to imagine the weight of what David is feeling right now. And yet David has an opportunity to take out Saul. All of David's problems stem from Saul, all of them. And David gets this opportunity in the story to um, kill Saul and he doesn't take it because he will not raise his hand against what he, against the Lord's anointed against the king he just will not do it he has respect for authority he will not kill Saul okay? and then so that's the background that is the background there's a lot going on David has upheld his character You know, he told a lie, but, like, he has upheld his character. He hasn't turned and went rampage on anybody. He has been gentle. He welcomes people into this cave with him who become his men, and he takes care of them. Like, he is living as best as he can, given his circumstances. And then he meets a man named Nabal, and and Nabal's wife named Abigail. And this is the story I want to talk about. The first thing you need to know about this story is there's immediate contrast between Nabal and Abigail. It says, Nabal's name means fool. Abigail is first described immediately as wise and discerning. So you've got one who is a fool, one who is wise and discerning. And David's interaction with this man, Nabal, almost breaks him. And I want you to hear this. You will probably be able to uphold your character when there's people above you uh, who you can honor. Unless you're a gossip, then you can't. But... It's much easier to honor the people above you than below you. It will t- A fool will break you. There's a lot of Proverbs about it. You know, so David here, he's been able to honor the king, uphold the authority of the king, fight the battles for the king, even though the king wants to kill him. But it, a fool, who's worth nothing, according to the scripture, breaks David. Be on the lookout for fools. Okay? Be on the lookout for fools. All right, so as we read this story, I'm going to read this story to you um, with that background in mind, okay? Um, again, this is in 1 Samuel chapter 25. It's quite a few verses, so stick with me a little bit here as we talk through this, all right? And David rose, and he went down to the wilderness of Paran, and there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and a 1,000 goats, and he was shearing sheep in Carmel. Now the man's name was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him." Peace be to you. So that's the that's what David says. He's going to send men to Nabal, and he's going to say, peace be to you. That's important because everyone knows that David was a warrior, and if a warrior's men show up on your front door, you're, you're wondering, are you going to take something violently from me, or are you here in peace? And David says, peace to you, and peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us and we did them no harm and they missed nothing of all the time they were in Carmel. Okay. That's an important line. David has been protecting these men who are out in the open field from being robbed or taken advantage of. No one asked him to. He's just doing it. He's just taking care of these men and making sure that they are protected because he has the ability to protect those who cannot protect themselves. That is noble. And so now he's gone to the man who he, who is their boss. And he says, "Ask your young men and they will tell you." Therefore, my young men, find fi- Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes as we come on a feast day. Remember this man is rich. Please give us whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. So this rich man they're just asking for some food. They're hungry. Hey, like, "Hey, we've protected you. Would you be willing to give us a meal?" This from a rich man. And when David's young men came, they said all of this to Nabal, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who's David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Listen to this line. This is what a fool sounds like. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? What a jerk. So David's young men turned away. And they came back and they told him all of this. And David said to his men, so he's obviously angry. Every man strap on your sword. And every man strapped on his sword. And David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 men remained with the baggage. This guy infuriated David so much that he's taking an army to go slaughter him. That's how, that's how angry David is. So we got remember David's background. He has been pursued to be killed, his wife has lied about him, he's living in a cave, he's he's alone except for his men who are with him. He's been cast out from Israel, forgotten, frustrated, frustrated, frustrated. And this fool of a man who's just asking for a meal provokes him and David snaps. He snaps. Okay? This is David's response is not a normal response unless someone is under high high tension. He snaps. A fool will break you. Okay. So he straps on his sword. Okay. He's going to kill him. That's the plan. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, behold, David sent messengers out into the wilderness to greet our master. And he railed at them yet. So when he was saying my shears, my bread, my water, my food, my meat, all that stuff, he was screaming. This, this fool of a man was screaming at David. Yet the ver- the men, David's men, they were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. And we did not miss anything that were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both by night and by day. And all the while, while we were with them, keeping the sheep, that if you have the ability to defend people, defend them. Now, therefore... Know this and consider what you should do for harm is determined against our master and against all of his house. And he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Okay. That is, how do you want to know? How do you want to know if someone's a fool? He is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. A fool is the one who does not listen to anyone. We've all met them. All of us. We've all met them. You say something, they don't listen. Other people appeal to them for whatever's going on, they don't listen. They are wise in their own eyes. They have no feedback loop. They've got nothing. That is a fool. Read Proverbs. Be careful of them. Okay? All right. So what's Abigail going to do? Because here comes an army to kill her husband. All right? Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five sillas of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisin and two hundred cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And then she gave. So then she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. And she did not tell her husband, Nabal. And as she rode on this donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. Now David said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has, has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. So David's not just going to kill Nabal. He's so angry that he's going to kill everyone in Nabal's household, including Abigail. Including Abigail. So this woman sends a gift ahead of time and by herself confronts an army. This is a bold, 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 strong woman. She walks out to the man who's ready to kill her entire household. And it's like, nah, nah, this is this woman's awesome. She is. Freaking... Uh, when Abigail saw David, she hurried down and got, got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed down to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. That's going to be important. We're going to come back to some lessons from this story, but that line is going to be be important. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. For I want your... But I, your servant, did not see the young man of my Lord, whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, so now then, my King, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord, who follow my King, is what that means. Please forgive the trespass of your servant for the Lord will certainly make my Lord. My will make you David a sure house because my King is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you. So long as you live, if men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life in the life of my Lord, they shall be bound in the bundle of the living and in the care of the Lord, your God, or excuse me, I've ever read that long. I read that line wrong. This is one of the most important lines and I read it wrong. I'm so, I apologize. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of, you, of my king, that is David, shall be bound in the bundle of the living and in the care of the Lord your God. That line is so important because David has men who have risen up to pursue him and to seek his life, to take his life. That's already happened. Abigail may not know that. She probably does not know that, but what she just said will probably resonate with like, Hey, I know that you are being pursued. It's almost like God's speaking through her and says, I know you're being pursued and I'm going to, I'm going to protect you in the lives of your enemies. He shall sling out as the hollow of the sling man that he is. She is like prophesying. That's what that's in Christian language is prophesying. She's saying stuff that she doesn't realize what she's saying. Um, she she is reminding David that the people who are trying to kill him will not be pursuing him much longer, that God is going to get rid of him. That, that is, I didn't, I've never realized that until just now. That's why my mind is blown. And when the Lord has done to my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause for grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation for himself and when the lord has dealt well with my lord then remember your servant and david said to abigail blessed be the lord the god of israel who sent you this day to meet me blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand for as surely as the lord your god the lord the god of israel lives who has restrained me from hurting you Unless you had hurried and come to meet me truly by morning, there had been not left to Abel, or excuse me, there had not been anything left to Nabal so much as one male. And then David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, go in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. Um, Again, that story is in first Samuel chapter 25, and you should go read it like three or four times because there's so much gold in there. Need needs some water. All right. All right. So Abigail is wise and discerning. The first thing you're going to want to look for in a woman is someone who's wise and discerning, like wise and discerning, wise and discerning. The number one thing you should look for wise and discerning. You can tell if someone is wise and discerning. You can tell a woman is wise and discerning. Uh, Don't rely upon yourself to know that first off, because you're probably going to be captivated by her beauty and your mind turns off. That always happens. If other people though, who are not swooning over a woman that you're interested in or the woman you're dating, if other people talk about how wise and discerning she is or that her reputation precedes her, then, you know, that's a woman with marrying. Okay. Um, one of the things like I had done all Christians do, they make a list of, I mean, maybe even non-Christians do this. I don't know. Um, They we make a list of the person that we're looking for so that we we're like accountable. We're like thinking it through. We don't just marry whoever we meet. And one of the things on um, the list, I wanted somebody whose reputation preceded her, went before her. So basically, I wanted people. I wanted to hear people talking about the woman I was going to marry before I'd even met her. And that happened with Chels. Uh, I can tell people talked about Chels before I'd met her, which was something I had wanted. Okay. So wise and discerning. Abigail is wise and discerning. Abigail reminds David who he is and who he is called to be. And what is at stake if he makes this decision. So at the opening of that story, so she sent, she like sends the gifts ahead and she makes sure that she reminds David who he's called to be, which is King reminds him was, what is at stake. She reminds him that like, God's going to build a house in your name. Like he's going he's promised you a kingdom um, and she uh, she didn't really know all this like she is just reminding him of his destiny even though she doesn't fully know what his destiny is um, and then she reminds him what is at stake um, in this decision those are like the big three overarching things that she does in this conversation um, but you know that she's wise and discerning because the first thing that she does is she presents David a gift she makes sure that he ha- she has his ear, before she starts to speak and this is this is so this is so so important the difference between nagging and a woman who has captured your ear is how it is opened okay if like because women I think they, they're probably wiser than men they, they they might be um we'll have to ask pops will know the answer to that one for sure it seems like my wife is wiser than me um but 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 we all know what it's like to be around a nagging woman. They want you to be better, but they don't open well, and they just—it's just like eh, it's just naggy. They just keep telling you how to get better, but they don't have your ear. And there's what you want in a, in a woman. You want to be looking for somebody who ha- knows they need to capture your ear because you and I, we are obstinate. That probably the we re, probably the reason women start to nag us is because we're obstinate and our ears are closed to whatever they have to say, and which is foolish on our part but a, a wise woman will know he has closed his ear to me and I need to open it before I start to talk. Otherwise the door is just going to continue to be shut. So Abigail presents this gift and she uses her words to make sure that she has David's attention and his ear so that she, he actually listens to what she has to say. And David needs to listen to what she has to say, which is a whole you need If you're married and your wife has something to say, you Better listen because she sees things that you don't see. Uh, I learned that from my pop. Of course. Um, The difference between uh, nagging also and and, uh, a woman who has your ear. A woman who has your ear cares about your character and the direction and will ensure that you're listening to her. She's not just trying to fix you or correct you. Later in David's life, you're going to see Michael. And Michael's a nagger. Michael's a liar. Michael just like she says a lie about David to like nag him to fix him and it's that's a whole other story that um we can do later. Okay? She reminds him of his future. She reminds him that the Lord will will build a sure house. She reminds him to fight the right battles. Man, that is a that is a good freaking thing that she does. Excuse my <laughs> my excitement. She reminds him that you're fighting the battles of the Lord, not against fools. Don't, man, a wise, discerning woman that you want to marry will make sure that you're fighting the right battles and not battling with foolish people that, that on things that do not matter. Don't get caught up in quarrelsome and petty arguments that don't benefit anybody. Fight the right battles. One of the things right now that drives me nuts about Christianity in the West is you have Christians nagging Christians about things when the enemy is not each other. We get so caught up about our petty little differences that you're fighting the wrong battle. Don't fight the wrong battle. Saul fights the wrong battle. He has enemies at his doorstep and all he can do is think about killing David. And so David has to go fight all of those battles. David himself is in a two front war. He has to defend Israel because he's, Israel's rightful king even though he doesn't have the position and he has to keep Saul from killing his life because or taking his life because Saul can't fight the right battles fight the right battles have a woman who's going to make sure you fight the right battles which means she's going to have something to say to you and you're going to want to close your ear to her and if I'm going to mention that in a minute open your ear to your to your woman and whoever you're going to marry if she has authority in your life do not cut that off no, just don't do it. Evil, all right, back to this. She says, evil shall not be found in you. She protects him from his desired action, okay? So David's about to make this choice, and she, she goes, hey, don't let evil into your heart. Don't let it be found in you. Like, don't do that. You're she, she says what David needs to hear to keep evil from penetrating his heart, because if evil gets into you and to me by our decisions, which it can, uh that changes the trajectory of our life and she's like don't 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 let that happen and remember you got to remember this woman is standing in front of an army <laughs> saying these to a king uh he doesn't have positional king but a an anointed king who is a very very strong and dangerous man and she's like boy uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> she's amazing and she reminds him that the lord is with him you remind, remember i was talking earlier um that she says that like the Lord's with you, he's going to protect you and the people who are currently pursuing you will not any longer. She, that's a reminder that David needed. So you've got this, this woman, this bold, wise, discerning woman who is willing to stand up to David for David's good. She, she, there, she mentioned makes no mention, not one mention of her own household. She doesn't ask for mercy. She makes no, doesn't ask him to stay his hand because of, um, her own house. She reminds him of everything about what's on, on the line for him, which I think is incredible. She reminds David that he's destined to be a King and he needs to continue to act like it. That's you want that in a woman. You want a woman who, who reminds you of what your destiny is, not how you need to get better, not how you need to improve. She needs to remind you. You want a woman who will remind you of what your destiny is because you will rise to the level that she calls you to. I promise. I promise. So, if ladies, if you're listening to this and you're, you're, like, irritated with your husband or boyfriend or whatever, I guarantee he will rise to the level that you call him if you don't nag him. Remind him of who he's called to be. Women, I'm convinced that women have all the power over their man. I mean, Chels could break me with a word if she wanted to. I pray she never does. Uh that's the that's the power she has over over me because I, I love her so much and she has my ear, she's got my heart, she's got my mind, and her word matters, and I will rise to whatever she sees in me. Like I just know I know it. I will. I've done it in the past. She is my biggest advocate. And there's a whole thing there. <clears throat> This conversation between Abigail and David also ensures that David becomes king without pain of conscience. So David probably still would have become king um, of Israel. That probably would have happened. You could probably still uh, reach, become who you want to be. But if you destroy people along the way, you're going to have that on your mind the entire time. Uh, So if your ultimate aim in life is to be powerful, and you think getting there, the right way to get there is to destroy the people in your path, who come against you you'll you'll be powerful your and your conscience will be plagued for the rest of your life and you probably will not have the relational intimacy that you you really long for like so pay attention to that all right final notes look for a woman who has the character to remind you of what of what you can become you can't become all that god desires for you to become because you like david will be broken by a fool and you will make a decision that forfeits your future without a wise and discerning woman. I was having a conversation with a guy the other day and I hear two great, great errors when it comes to relationships. There's this, there's an error that says I can't become anything until I get married. That's a lie. And then there's another lie that's very common that like, if I get married, I will be hindered. Uh, neither one of those are true at all. Um, you can put your, you can become a great man uh, while you're single. I think you become a real, you you just grow when you um, when you get married and when you have kids. There's just levels to manhood, but you can still become a great man while you're single. You can still improve your character and you can accomplish a lot in your work and and give yourself over to the strenuous life and accomplish much and become much. You can while you're single, and then you'll get, mar- and then you'll get married and it'll take off. Um, but the other great lie is that you'll be able to accomplish more if you're single. No, no, you won't that, that, that you won't become, you need a a woman, you know, to, to, to like catapult you into who you are going to become. And when you, when you think like that, what you're really doing is you're, you're passing blame. Okay. Uh, If I wasn't married or if I wasn't in this relationship, I would be more successful. What you're doing is you're blam- blaming your lack of diligence on your significant other. you? That's what you're doing. You're not as disciplined as you'd like to be. You're not as diligent as you would like to be. You're not as far along as you thought you would be. And, and so you, what you're doing, instead of taking responsibility, which is what manhood is, manhood is taking responsibility, you're blaming the person who's your biggest advocate and cheerleader and wants you to succeed more than anything else in the world. Chelsea wants me to succeed more than any other person in the world. She's my biggest fan, she's my biggest cheerleader, and she wants me to push and dream and chase after and as long as I don't forget about her, she is on board for everything. That's all she wants. She doesn't want me to forget about her and our family, which is good because that's my number 1 thing in life is I want to be a good I want to be a good husband a good father, like more than anything. That is my, that is my number one ambition. And Chelsea's is there to remind me that all the time that that's, that's who I want to become. But then with everything else I put my hand to, she's my, she's my biggest cheerleader. I, I work in ministry. I work in church and my favorite moment in my work to date, I've been doing this a little over seven years, um, was my last night at my last job, my last church, um, I got to, I got to preach, you know, I'm, I don't do much preaching ever, almost never. I don't, I don't really preach. Um, but they, they let me preach and, um, I was super nervous about it. It was also really emotional cause I'm leaving a place I love and going to, you know, Boston, which is foreign to me. And, um, so I've got a lot of emotion, uh, uh, um, before I go on the stage and, and my, my favorite moment in ministry so far, has been the three minutes prior to me getting on that stage with a microphone in my hand where my wife is standing right next to me with her head on my shoulder saying, I'm proud of you. So the, there is a lie that you and I believe that we can't become successful if we have a wife, that they are an anchor that holds us down and keeps us alive from the pit of hell. You will not become the man that you want to be without your woman. I, I promise there is an element that a woman brings to your life in a power and a trajectory that you just can't have without them. And men who blame their women for their lack of success don't understand what's in that woman. If they're what they're doing when they blame their woman for their lack of success and their lack of trajectory, (sighs) they're forfeiting their responsibility. And they're not acknowledging that they probably have neglected their family, which is a whole thing. If your wife's on board with ever, whatever you want, to do, like, with whatever you want to do, if your future wife is on board with whatever you want to do, all she's asking is that you don't forget about her, her, and your family. And if you make that your focus, she will, she will catapult you as far as you want to go. I promise. I've just seen it happen. You know, it's ironic. All the most successful people in the world are married. They're not single. They're not. And their wife's on board and they never, they've never forgotten about their wives. Like pay attention to that. You like, I could go on and on. Okay. The other thing with women are wise and discerning. You want a wise and discerning woman. When you get into that relationship or if you're in that relationship, if you believe that your wife is wise and discerning, Listen to her. You and I, I do this all the time. You and I, our wife is trying to say something. She, maybe she even did the great opener and she she made sure she had your ear. And then she starts to tell you, like, she starts to correct you. Like, Abigail is correcting David in this moment. And the first thing you and I do is shut her down. Because you and I, as men, don't like to be corrected. And we don't want our wife telling us what's, what's good. And we we don't like her pointing out our blind spots. She's there for your good. You need to listen to her. She sees things that you don't see. And, I mean, all the time, Chelsea will be like, well, because we'll, my wife is like Abigail. Man, I, I could cry thinking about my wife. My wife like, is like Abigail. And so often I just don't want to listen because what she's saying is true. And I'm like, nah, I kind of like my way better. We've got to listen to our wives. And listen to the woman. Like, I know I'm now I'm talking to men who are married. Make sure you're listening to your wife. She see th- sees things that you don't see. Don't shut her down. Don't walk away. Do not dismiss. Don't do any of that stuff. That is, that is horrible. You are shutting down the very gift that God gave you to, to catapult you into your future. Who sees things that you don't see. And you want a woman who sees things that you don't see. You don't want a woman who's passive and just, like... Sits in front of you. You want a woman who is willing to stand in front of you and your dang army and say, Stop right there. You are about to make a mistake. Listen to her. Listen to her. And the last thing I'm going to tell you, gentlemen, as you're looking for a, a woman, um, you're probably going to get married. That's going to happen. Like 98% of all people get married in their lifetime. So you don't need to be anxious about it. <sighs> Women like Abigail are looking for men like David. They're not looking for men like Nabal. So you need to take a look at your life and figure out like, hey, would a woman like Abigail marry a man like me as I currently am? Am I do I have direction? Uh do I have a do I have like ambition? Am I going somewhere? Am I working on my character? Do I have dreams? Do I have the ability to draw a woman into an adventure? Uh too many men, you know, um I was listening to a panel where they were talking about this too many men are hoping a woman will come into their life and change them and, and that's not the way it works. Women don't want to come into your life and and change you. That's how they get naggy. They want you to draw them into an adventure that is your life, where you're going. They want you to lead and not forget about them. <laughs> they want they want the adventure, they want the romance, they want the perseverance women love when they see their man that come alive with purpose and dreams and daring. And so are you the type of man that's attracting an Abigail or are you a Nabel? You know, you'll notice, you know, Abigail married Nabel and you're like, see, that undermines your point. I was like, not not really. She's probably just given to him. She probably didn't choose him, but I know that she, he, she was not a fan of Nabel because she didn't even mourn his death. So David ends up marrying Abigail. He comes back and um, after Nabal dies, because Nabal dies, Nabal gets struck down by the Lord. He just dies. And he dies uh, not very long after. And David comes back and says, I'd like for you to be my wife. Because he recognizes what's good in Abigail. And Abigail just packs up and leaves. She she doesn't even like, there's no question. There's no mourning. There's nothing. She's ready to go. Because she's looking for a guy like David. You and I, when we're single, I'm not single anymore, but I did this when I was single. I mean, part of that conversation I had with my dad where he's like, what kind of man do you want to be? I was complaining about being single and he goes, you can't have a, you can't get married right now. You don't have any direction. I was like, shut up, dad. He was right. You need some direction on who you're going to become and what you're going to give your life to before you even think about bringing a woman into your life. And if you bring a woman into your life before those two things, you're selfish you're going to feel good for a little bit but you're going to have nothing to offer her in a year. No adventure. No no romance, no nothing. You you need you men operate very very differently than women do. You need to have something that you're giving your life to that excites you and brings you alive because that's what your woman wants. And then that she can you can then she can actually be the object of your affection. <clears throat> so, there's all that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the man, I want to be podcast, I want you to remember, you know, I am, I am a a big fan of Theodore Roosevelt and he has this great quote that I, I just love. And I opened, um, when I started this podcast, I opened with this quote. So I want you to remember this quote by Theodore Roosevelt, justice among the nations of mankind and the uplifting of humanity will only be brought about by those strong and daring men who with wisdom love peace, but who love righteousness more than peace. It is the strong and daring men who desire the peace of righteousness, who will uplift the nations, but that effort is as dust if we do not give ourselves over to our wives and our children, bearing the full weight of that responsibility with joy. You, my friends, you can be a good man. You can do this. I believe in you. And until next time, this is the Man I Want to Be podcast.